Welcome to an original series, the podcast celebrating our favorite TV shows behind the paywall. I'm Patch, one of your co-hosts, and with me celebrating the world of Longhorn storytelling is my friend and Sorcerer Supreme, Adam. <laughs> you're the Sorcerer Supreme. <laughs> no, you're the Sorcerer Supreme. We can both be, I guess, if we have a split life or something like that. If, if, well, if strings be can the, be split uh, in half, then I guess yeah. we can share Sorcerer Supreme. I'll be Sinister Supreme. Okay, that's cool. If that's you get what a, it's called. Your cape looks cooler than mine, then. I'll just say that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, if you haven't picked up on it, if you're just randomly allowing your podcast catcher to just show you random episodes, we are talking about Season 1, Episode 4, Stranger... Oh, not Stranger Things? What am I talking about? It is strange, but <laughs> it involves strangeness. Doctor Stranger Things. Doctor Strange. Yes, Doctor Strange Things. Of uh, Marvel's What If, and it's What If Doctor Strange Lost His Heart Instead of His Hands. And this was an episode that we did need to do some homework on. I did especially. I remember you telling me at the end of our last episode that watching Doctor Strange is in and of itself a great experience, but will probably be very beneficial going into this episode. You were not kidding. It is very much tied into it and fits almost like a glove or a hand or a heart, if you will. Uh, <laughs> done with the puns here. And the title's but, not uh, literal. He doesn't lose his heart it's more figurative that right he yeah. loses the one he loves mm -hmm. hence the heart right. whereas in the film he actually does kind of lose the ability to use his hands so it's a somewhat deceptive title in that sense until you dig into the episode yeah and i like the titles of the of some of these because in asking the question it really kind of raises the thought of well what do they mean by that it's a very right. cryptic episode title what if dr strange lost his heart instead of his hands does he become a cyborg what's the deal here? <laughs> right what we find out is of course that this whole episode really centers around an obsession with getting back christine who dies in this episode over and over and over again, which we'll get yeah. into. But I wanted to kind of make a couple of general comments about this episode, Adam. Mm -hmm. This was one that had probably the most serious tone of any that we've covered so far. And I found that very odd, intriguing, interesting. I mean, all these different words sort of fit into this category because I didn't expect it. I mean, we had sort of lighter tones in some of the other ones. We had sort of weird stuff happening. But at the end of the day, we were getting just an adventure story, lots of action, great voice casting. And we got that here too. But from start to finish, I really felt like we were in the midst of an animated drama for about 30 minutes. I didn't know how to feel about that. I kind of had mixed feelings after I watched it the first time. And if you guys don't know already, I mean, I usually watch our episodes twice so that I can capture notes the second time so that our discussion isn't just me going, um, what'd you like? And, um, here's what I liked. So after queuing it up the second time for note taking purposes, it really grew on me. And I think it had to do mainly with the fact that I watched Dr. Strange. And this was something that we talked about before our last episode ended that this was a blind spot for me. I'm not a big fan of the mystic arts uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is Benedict Cumberbatch. He could be cool. But I remember watching other 
Marvel movies with him in it, that he was sort of a tertiary character, including the Avengers movies. And I was like, maybe I should give this a try. And I was glad that I sort of had to do this for homework in terms right. of yeah. being able to kind of capture the real essence of Doctor Strange. So when you when you take that movie and you take Multiverse of Madness, what I think you get is this really great in-between story. You can watch both, and I believe you did. I think you watched both Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness and then watched the episode. But I think yeah. if you were to watch this in its release order, it would make just as much sense, have the same kind of impact. And that's kind of what I did, where I didn't watch Multiverse of Madness. I'd already seen it, so I consider that sort of a recent watch. And I, in my head, I put it to the right. <laughs> and so yeah. I watched Doctor Strange and then this episode. And what I thought was really great was that through line of his love for Christine throughout all, what I would call all three movies, where you have like this movie one, short film, aka yeah. cartoon, and yeah. then movie two, I think that that's a really great choice to keep that through line because that's something that is incredibly powerful with Steven that comes up in obviously the first one, but as an indirect, well, not indirect, I mean, really a direct, uh, not to give anything away about Multiverse of Madness, but it does play a significant part in the events of that movie, which is pretty fantastic. So it definitely elevated to watch the first movie, allowing me to connect a little bit more. But tonally, it still kind of shook me a little bit that it was so somber. And so yeah. I was expecting, okay, when am I going to get the laugh? And there were a couple of times when I did. But for the most part, it was pretty much all drama all the time. Yeah, it's it's almost a tragedy, really, compared to the other mm -hmm. episodes, which are action, adventure, with some comedic elements sprinkled throughout, just like a lot of the live-action MCU films are. This definitely was a departure, and and like you, as you said, I, I did rewatch Doctor Strange, which I haven't seen since it came out in theater. I did see it in the theater in 2016 it came out, and I actually really enjoyed it when it came out. I didn't know a lot about him as a character. I had seen him in the comics as a kid, but I didn't really follow him as a character. I found that as an origin story film, I thought it was really effective. It really did a good job of making you understand his character. And it was really the first film in the MCU to kind of go into sort of the mystical side of things. And also, in a way, the multiverse concept was just starting to be introduced in that film. And I liked it. I thought it was really good. But I hadn't seen Multiverse of Madness because I missed it in the theater. So I was able to catch it on Disney Plus in preparation. So I watched both of those in order and then watched this episode. And I have to say that I think watching both of the films and this episode in order really enhanced my enjoyment, not just of this What If episode, but really of the whole What If series as a whole. I think that I'm now seeing that these kind of What If stories aren't just fun ideas that they're exploring in animation, that these are actual events that occurred in different universes. And now that the multiverse has been opened up in the MCU films, there's an opportunity now for any of these what-if characters, if you will, like Captain Carter, to actually cross over into our official MCU, what, 616 universe, as they finally refer to it in Multiverse of Madness. What I like about that is that it means the things that we're seeing in this series, in, in this what-if series, they are actual events that could affect and alter the characters we know and love in the films down the road. And I think that's really exciting 
because we don't know who might show up next. We don't know if the zombies could show up in a live action version of one of the Marvel movies. I mean, who knows, yeah. right? You could have yeah. the universes could collide and maybe the zombie versions of all the Avengers show up and have to fight our 616 versions or something. There's a, there's a lot of uh, possibilities that make this show feel a lot more important to me. Like I want to see every episode now and I want to understand how they could potentially could tie in and connect to not just the MCU films to this point, but also where they're going down the road. Yeah. The multiverse in and of itself, I think, just opens up a, a slew of possibilities. Yeah. That can have its faults. Yeah. So when you have a character that you introduce in Earth 815 and you kill that character off that creates this opportunity of like, oh, cool, well, we can kill off Captain Carter, we can kill off Captain Marvel or Spider-Man in every universe because we always have another one that they can come back to. I think that you have to be very careful when it comes to the multiverse because you start watering down stakes at that point. And that's something that I remember Infinity War gave me was loss and stakes of like, Mm -hmm. oh, wow, significant, we, we lost significant people. They came back, obviously. And again, spoilers, if you haven't seen all this stuff. So apologies. You're, you're listening to the wrong podcast if you haven't seen yeah, you really are. Yeah. Infinity War. If you, if you listen to our episode zero, we basically spoil everything about the, <laughs> the show that we're talking about and possibly more. So yeah. I apologize, but not really. Sorry, not sorry. I guess right. <laughs> but, I look at, but I look at the multiverse and its potential. And you make a really, really great point, Adam, that these stories are not just throwaways. They are potential primers for future stories to be told within the MCU. I think that's a credit to Kevin Feige for really structuring this the way he does. Being that showrunner, being that universe runner, not being as hands-on because he doesn't need to be. But this speaks to kind of the vision that he's cast and the team of people that have put a lot of their trust in his vision. What we get is what we're really enjoying. So I think of all the episodes that we've watched so far, I think this one speaks to probably the most connective to what the actual like MCU alternative is. In other words, what I'm saying is the story of what if Dr. Strange lost his heart instead of his hands is very closely tied to Dr. Strange as an origin story and the multiverse of madness. Why that is, I think it's because of sorcery and because you can do that with magic and I think it's it's bold. And it happens mm-hmm. to come from a character that not a lot of people care about. I mean, if we think about 2016, that was, what, four years after Avengers? So it was maybe yeah. Phase 2, late Phase 2, early Phase 3, we're getting Doctor Strange. And it just happens to be the story that really kind of literally connects characters and worlds that we're starting to get to know and fall in love with. And there's, in this particular episode, there's that use of time travel, which as you and I know, being big fans of back to the future, you don't mess with things in the past because they have (laughs) (laughs) really bad consequences or they can, it could be as little as, you know, naming your mall lone pine instead of twin pines, (laughs) or it could be as drastic as, you know, something even greater. And in the case of this episode, it is the latter. Like it not only, I think the watcher says at the very end of the episode, one life, one choice, one moment. And destroy the entire universe. Now that's <laughs> right. that's pressure right there. And Doc Brown was always warning us about that as well. You know that yes, he, he could was. unravel the entire space time continuum with one mistake. So I'm convinced that 
we should not be going back or forward in time. Even if we well, have I the think ability. we can go backwards and forwards. I just think we can't interfere. Yeah, you know, we can be observers. We can be watchers. Well, which... yeah, but I think it's in human nature that we can't just watch. I think we would all be. <laughs> We've talked about this in, in other yeah. podcasts about Back to the Future, how that's the problem, that right. it's, it's inherent in human nature that we will try to better ourselves in some way. And in this case, in this episode, he's trying to fix a wrong or right a wrong mm-hmm. by saving Christine's life. And again, anyone who's ever lost anyone, I'm sure has thought about the idea, oh, if I could just go back in time and just done this differently or whatever, that's kind of what this episode plays around with. And like you said, it's a time travel story to a certain extent. The funny thing is that time travel is probably my favorite subgenre of sci-fi. I just really, if it's if done well, I really, really enjoy the time travel stories and in particular, time loop stories, I find that's like a sub sub genre that I find really fascinating. <laughs> and, you know, they can be done really well and not so well. But if done well, even like a movie like Groundhog Day is not really sci fi, but it plays with that concept in a really fun way. There's been other examples, you know, Edge of Tomorrow, I thought was really fun. The Tom Cruise film played with that same concept. There's that great Star Trek TNG episode, Cause and Effect, where they're kind of stuck in a time loop. But this is kind of a self-made time loop. He's forcing himself to relive the same event over and over again in order to make the outcome change. But, of course, it can't or it won't. Like Almost like the universe won't allow it to happen. They refer to it as a point in time that can't be altered, you know, that, that she was su- right. she was supposed to die. So it doesn't matter how she dies. She has to die at that point because that's what causes Stephen Strange to go on his quest and then become the Sorcerer Supreme and therefore save the universe on countless occasions <laughs> or help save the universe as part of the, yeah. the Avengers and so on. But there's actually a short film. I don't know if you've seen it. It won the best Oscar for live action short last year it's called two distant strangers and it's on netflix actually it's they okay acquired the rights to it it's really worth checking out it's very similar to this episode with the idea that a character is stuck in a time loop where he knows what's happening and he's trying to do everything in his power to change what happened but everything he tries it's like the universe knows that he's trying to change it and pushes back and it's really exciting and fascinating to watch and that's really what this episode the bulk of it is about of course at a certain point he gives up and moves on from it but it's that whole montage of him reliving her death and trying everything it was really one of the best parts i think of this episode i think so too because i think it puts us in a position where in his attempt to save her he's having to just experience trauma over and over and over again this is kind of where I got a little confused. Maybe you can help me out. Time travel stories, they have the potential to become too complicated. And even the ones that I enjoyed the most have their kind of brain hurt moments. Yeah. Uh, I can think of the independent movie Primer. That's definitely one where you're like, okay, I need a science professor to really help me figure out what's going on here. <laughs> I didn't feel that in this one. I didn't feel like there was so much that we were getting so sci-fi, you know, sci-fi, <laughs> scienced out that we lost the point of the of the story. We did not obviously, you know, in saying that earlier, but I think that watching him experience the stuff over and over again, just further puts him into grief. And one of the things that I pulled from this is this idea that grief is so is hard, but it brings healing and allows people to move forward if done in a healthy way. And I think what, what strange is doing here is 
yes, he is physically re-experiencing her death in multiple ways. Like he can't even save her when he's not around. Like there's that one moment where she's killed apart from him. So it's not his fault. Yeah. I think it's like a building fire. Yeah. On the news. Yeah. Yeah. Watching him go through that. It's almost as if those of us who don't understand how to grieve appropriately or, or those who are trying to figure out the most healthy way to grieve. That's what we experience, right? We experience just all these moments of like, well, what if I did this? What if I did that? But the end result is that that person's not coming back. And I want to say that death is hard. I mean, that's just a matter of fact. It is like when you lose someone, it is a hard thing. It is equally hard when it happens suddenly. So I do not look forward to the day when one of my parents passes away. I'm grateful that they're still alive as of this recording, but I know that they're going to pass away because they're getting older. My dad who didn't walk with a cane five years ago, now walks with a cane. And I'm like, no way, you're not getting old. Same thing with my mom. But those that lose loved ones suddenly, as we see with Christine, we see the honest reaction of the question, aren't we allowed to be happy? Which is a question that he asks. And there's this really fantastic moment. And I believe it's the last one where she's driving the car I think he says you're the only thing that matters and he closes his eyes because he knows that it's inevitable. She's going to die. And I think that's what leads to, this is where I was confused. The moment that he meets, I can't remember the bald sorcerer's name or sorceress's name. Oh, the the ancient one, or I think is the how ancient one. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And that's where he gets split. We find out later that he's split, but I think that watching that whole sequence play out, it really puts an emotional weight on me to watch him go through that, mm-hmm. knowing that he can't change it. It's like the movie Sideways. I don't know if you've ever seen that. The yeah. whole premise yeah. of the movie is what happens when one choice changes how you approach. So Gwyneth Paltrow's character is walking down a subway station, and in one reality, she catches the subway and the other reality she doesn't and it you know missing the train or missing the subway makes her do something different which makes her do something different which makes her do something different and then catching the train leads her on a different path this same thing is happening so this is not new stuff but it's in a nice kind of refreshing take and i think that that whole splitting of steven was a really interesting way to tell this story and we don't find that out until the back half of the episode so i liked that i liked seeing how someone who is having a hard time grieving, how he becomes obsessive, how he becomes, I I have to do this. And at some point, I believe he says, I've gone too far. I can't stop now, which I think we felt a lot of times. We've kind of gone so deep down the rabbit hole of the choices that we make that by stopping, we can't even cut our losses. So I feel that in him as he's going through this whole process. Yeah, I agree. Of all these episodes, as we've said, it's probably the the most difficult to watch, especially if you've lost somebody. But I think, as we've said in previous episodes, what really makes it so powerful is the voice cast coming back. And I think this might be the first episode that we've seen where literally every Doctor Strange actor came back to reprise their roles. I don't think anyone was recast. No one's missing here. You have Benedict Cumberbatch. You have Rachel McAdams as Christine. You have Benedict Wong as Wong. Tilda Swinton as the Ancient One, and 
We even have uh, Leslie Bibb coming back as Christine Everhart. I don't know if you know who that is. It's a very small part in the episode. She's the like reporter journalist on the television who reports. Oh, that's right. Uh, the that Christine Palmer died in in a building fire. And the same actress plays this same character, Christine Everhart, in Iron Man One and Two. She's the Vanity Fair reporter journalist who. Tony Stark kind of hooks up with and because and she's trying to do like a story on him. So why did they decide to bring her back in this very minor role? It's just more of why I love these episodes is that they find even the most the smallest character who hasn't been, to my knowledge, in an, a live action film in over 10 years, MCU film, I'm sorry. They find her, bring her in, they cast her and they find a role for her in this episode. So to me, that's again, what makes this work. These really are the actor's who have created these characters and own them on the big screen. And here they are, as you said, almost in a short film or a short story, continuing to tell their story, but in a slight sort of variation, or, you know, they're altering their personalities slightly to fit the story. And I just think it works so well. I mean, even the smallest parts, as I said, like even Tilda Swinton as the Ancient One to bring her back because she was only in Doctor Strange. She's never been in any other MCU show or film. And here we have her back. So it was really, really fun to see this whole cast jump back into the show for one episode. Yeah. yeah and I, I think the strength of that is that there's chemistry and that they know the characters well enough to be able to to really fall into them yeah. in this thing and you know connected with the fact that this is reminiscent of Doctor Strange and some of the story beats I don't know if some of these guys had already filmed Multiverse of Madness when they were voice casting this I'd like to believe it because again I feel like there's that connection as you've seen as well yeah the uh the story itself takes an interesting turn because before we find out that Strange's being was split, uh, we actually feel like he is on a singular path and he becomes obsessed. I think it's told when he figures out he can actually reverse the absolute point by absorbing the power of others. I don't know if it's the other sorcerers or just other beings. I don't think it really gives us specifics, but it's obviously yeah. creatures. Enough energy, like it takes so much energy that he, he can only acquire by bringing creatures and powerful beings in from other universes and somehow acquiring, you know, absorbing their, their energy, their power, and therefore he would eventually have enough strength to bring her back. But he, he obviously doesn't know everything doesn't quite understand how he's going to do it. He's just told that it's possible. And yeah. he goes on this kind of almost mad quest because it takes him, I think we learn two centuries of doing this to even yeah. to even get to the point where he might be able to do it. Yeah, he goes to either, I think a person's name, Cagliostro, to his library, or I think it's, it's a place or a person. And that's where he finds out that he can do this. I still kind of have an issue with this idea of you're not able to reverse an absolute point unless you do this. <laughs> well, so yeah. I'm like, well, and I think, I think he kind of pokes fun at that because he's reading through the book. He's like, the power required to break an absolute point in time is immense and nigh impossible to obtain. <laughs> yeah, no doy. But then he says, but if you're going to do this, here's how it works. And he starts small, as he says, because he realizes that going to try to absorb the power of like the octopus or whatever that serpent thing is, uh, did not work. Right. That's actually, uh, to go back to episode one of this series, that's Shuma Gorath, who is the same creature that Red Skull brought in through the portal in the what if Captain Carter were the first Avenger. So. 
Uh, If you remember that that, those tentacles reaching out and it's also from what I'm told, what I understand, what I've read, the same creature that appears on the streets of New York in Multiverse of Madness. So, yeah, there's another connection there, but it's it's a very powerful being. And therefore, yes, he was unable to absorb its energy and power on his first attempt. (laughs) Yeah. So he he blacks out and he's told that. Yeah, you can't do that. That mystic beings do not bargain. Their powers are not meant for man. And again, these are in my head like these are contradictions. So like why is he even doing this and why does he think he can do it? Yeah. And if you're, you know, if you're setting up these mystical rules, then how can he break them? But when we find out later is it's not that he can't, it's that he shouldn't. Right. That essentially the fact that he can't break that rule is in fact a rule because if he does, we learn out the the consequences essentially are the destruction of a universe. And so, yes, it's possible, but by doing it, you actually destroy everything anyway. So it's it does right. actually ultimately make sense. But yeah, as you're watching, it does feel like a very comic book thing where something's impossible, but there is a way. You know, there's always yeah. some way. It's you're really hard. Rules, but, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, he, he goes back into the, the fold. And as you mentioned, he spends two centuries actually absorbing these creatures. He starts by saying, let's start small. And he, I guess, absorbs a gnome of some kind. <laughs> yeah. But something interesting that happens here is he acquires his cape from the bug, but does not absorb the bug because apparently he draws the line at bugs. And then he says more. And I think this is the turn. This is where... Yeah the obsession becomes really problematic because at this point I almost feel like he's getting his mission accomplished by, yes, I'm going to continue to do this, but he's not satisfied. Like what is going to be the ultimate thing? And this really plays out in an interesting way because when we find out that he's split and the only way that he can bring Christine back is if he merges with his other self, that's almost like an echo of what happens in this chamber where he is absorbing the power of a creature and he has to absorb his own power this good this i almost kind of saw this bizarro slash superman type thing or superman 3 where you have like evil superman who gets rid of good superman and they have this like fight in the junkyard obviously this was a lot more sophisticated than that when that happened but i kind of got that vibe during that fight sequence but at this point when he's absorbing all these characters all these creatures you can see it in his face visibly that he's almost enjoying it And that's creepy. I mean, that's absolutely creepy because you're like echoing a little bit about some stuff that happens in Multiverse of Madness. Again, not to give too much away, but there's danger in messing with this stuff. It's very consistent with his character that that's kind of the price you pay for being Sorcerer Supreme or having access to this magic is that it has the potential to take you over. And this particular version of that takeover is just as powerful. Yeah, it's like a a drug. You know, you get... Yeah, you get a, a little bit. You want a little bit more. You want a little bit more, and yeah, he's mm-hmm. he's become addicted in the sense to absorbing these creatures and and to the power that he's he's gaining from it. I think yes, his ultimate goal is to one day bring back Christine, but it's almost like he doesn't even care anymore at this point in his century long <laughs> journey. He's just doing it because he likes it now, because he wants power, because yeah. he enjoys it. I don't know that he doesn't care about Christine, but I think he's got another influence happening Mm -hmm. where this absorption of power is really just sort of putting him in a place where I think he feels like he can do anything. Like Christine is still the goal, but all this stuff is sort of taking over him where 
he will do whatever it takes for her. Mm-hmm. But now he has very little conscience to be able to say, well, wait, if I do this, could I start to unravel? And that really shows up whenever he's absorbing the the octopus thing, because it's like he cuts off the tentacles and he almost in a condescending way says, come here, basically, I got this and yeah. nothing is going to stop me. So there's this arrogance, this ego that really starts to build up in him. And while the flame of Christine's return, her coming back to life is still there, I think it's being overtaken by something greater that ends up becoming his downfall. You know, the ability right. to to actually think clearly about what he's doing. Like at this point, if he were told, if you bring Christine back, the world that you live in and the world that she's going to live in will no longer exist. I think he would not be able to hear that right. because he is so focused and so down that rabbit hole that he would never be able to say, wait, I need to take a step back. And so what we get is this crazy Dr. Strange, a stranger, I guess, than than what we're, you know, what we're used to seeing. And that's when we get introduced to both halves, you know, later on the episode. Yeah, I think you're right. He's so twisted now in a way that his goal, as you said, is still to have become powerful enough to bring her back. But if you think about it, he's no longer the person that she fell in love with yep. and, and the person yep. that loved her. Like that, Those people are gone. So even though the goal is still there, he can't even fathom the fact that when he does bring her back, that he may not be what she wants anymore, that she may not, right. she may see him as, as, as a monster and, and not mm-hmm. understand who he is. And in fact, that's kind of what happens. She looks at him and just like, what are you? Who are you? You know? He went too far, right? And I think that's yeah. the issue. I think when he was just attempting to use the Eye of Agamotto, or the, which is really the, the Time Stone, right? The Infinity Stone. Uh, when he was just using that to kind of turn back time, just trying to alter time slightly, I think he was still himself. He was still hoping he could just, you know, do one thing different and then they could be together, right? But here he's just gone so far down the rabbit hole that any resemblance to who he was with Christine is is long gone. And before we get to that big showdown between him and his, I would say his better half, <laughs> that'd be a correct yeah. way to say that. I want to talk a little bit about the Watcher. I know we bring him up in every episode, obviously, because he is, while not the central figurehead, he is definitely the link with all these episodes. His involvement in this episode was surprising. Like he is actually self-aware. He's looking at Doctor Strange and he's saying, maybe I should intervene. And so listeners, I want you to know, that we, because of the way in which these episodes fell, we actually recorded episode five before we recorded episode four. So if you haven't listened to episode five yet, know that we're going to say something specific about The Watcher. It's not really a spoiler, but we considered that episode being kind of the first instance where he is interacting with the world instead of just narrating. (laughs) Obviously, that's not the case because he does so in here. And I figured that's what would happen. We would say something like, oh, this is the first time this happened. And sure enough, in the episode previous to it, it actually happened again. That being said, nothing spoiled, nothing lost. I really liked his involvement here because as someone who has this omnipresence and omniscience, in the world of the MCU, he is very conscious of the fact that he cannot interfere. And the dialogue between him and Strange at the end, after this whole battle between him and his better half go on, the Watcher looks at him and essentially says, Honestly, if I could fix this, if I could punish you instead, I would. But I can't interfere. 
You more than anyone else should understand that meddling with time and events only leads to more destruction. That's kind of interesting to see because someone who's omnipresent, someone who's who knows everything, but has his own set of rules that he can't break yeah. is, is very bold. You know, I, I, I look at this episode and it makes sense because when, it talks, when we talk about time, you know, that's the first word we hear the watchers say it every, at every episode, Time, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the great way that he says that. And here we actually have some deliberate interaction and, I, I like that choice. I like the fact that the watcher is now becoming more a part of the world of what if beyond just telling us what's happening. Yeah, it would be almost as if Rod Serling actually talked with the characters on the Twilight Zone as opposed to just sort of stepping into frame and then out of frame and narrating. Right. In this episode, we actually, A, we see his lips moving again, which I mentioned again because we we talk about it, as you said, in the next episode, episode five, I think it is. Yes. Which we both found to be a little odd. But in this episode, I think it kind of works because he is, in a sense, interacting with Doctor Strange. And in the middle of the episode, before the ending, as you mentioned, there's a moment where he kind of says to us he's on the wrong path i could warn him intervene but the fate of his universe is not worth risking the safety of all others besides i doubt he'd listen now that was interesting when he said i could warn him i could intervene because it means that there may have been times long ago where watchers whether it be him or other watchers did interfere in some way right to prevent some sort of catastrophe from occurring but clearly this particular watcher cannot he's unwilling and even at the expense of the entire universe collapsing on itself this particular universe and since there's an infinite number i don't think the stakes aren't super high if you have an infinite number of universes for one to, to collapse like okay all right just one universe <laughs> but anyway <laughs> got some more in the back <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it is interesting that as you said he does then later on actually talk with Doctor Strange. And I like how earlier you hear Doctor Strange kind of look, well, first you see him like look over his shoulder and he says, hello, who's that? Like he can almost sense that the Watcher is watching him or observing him with all the power that he's acquired. He doesn't even know what the Watcher is, but he clearly knows there's something. He calls him a god, if you remember uh, and he thinks right. that perhaps as a god, he can fix it. He can make it better. But he doesn't understand these rules <laughs> that the Watchers have. It, it is interesting, though. I don't know if something will happen where one of them does intervene in some way. But I don't know what it would have to be. He, didn't, he clearly didn't intervene uh, during Avengers Infinity War with, uh, with Thanos. So he's uh, clearly pretty good at following the rules, at least the rules that he's set for himself. <laughs> yeah, when I watch... The Watcher, <laughs> and I, I see his interactions. Clearly, he has some kind of block. But I also noticed that, as you mentioned, there are infinite universes. And so his role is still sort of a mystery beyond just telling us you know, what's going on. Even at the end of the episode, when the universe of Doctor Strange is collapsing in on itself, you can see the Watcher almost leave that universe. Like there's a visible block of like, I think the it looks like the time stone. It looks like a like a jewel 
that Doctor Strange is caught in, and you see Christine melting or liquefying. But the way the camera works, the Watcher goes from inside that universe to outside of it. It just kind of makes me wonder, does the Watcher, because he can see all these infinite universes, does he have empathy? I mean, I think he does to an extent, but I think this episode sort of expands my curiosity of him and what role he could play beyond just telling us as an audience what's taking place. You're familiar with this, but this is what really happened. And so I I think as the series goes on, we'll start seeing a little bit more that I hope we do at least. And as you know, having recorded the episode that leads into this, he doesn't have as much of an impact in that episode, but he does speak a little bit, which was new to us at the time. Obviously, it's not new, seeing as how he does more than that here. But I like that push forward in that we're getting this new character or newer character who starts out as that Rod Serling kind of thing and has sort of ingratiated himself to an extent into the the stories of the MCU. Speaking of which, there is an actual, I don't know if you know this, Adam, but there is a Twilight Zone episode that becomes very meta where the characters see Rod Serling as he's talking and they start asking him questions about a certain thing. I, I don't, I can't really tell you the story, but he becomes a character in one of his own stories. And I don't know if become, I've seen that one. Yeah. Yeah. It's it. good. Missed it. It's good. It has to do with the, a novelist. <laughs> Interesting. I'll have <laughs> and to it, it out. Uh, kind yeah. of Yeah. One thing I wanted to point out before we get to that big fight sequence, well, actually, as a result of that fight sequence, we have these two characters, these two Doctor Stranges. There is a choice to be made. And essentially, it's said that we can either save Christine or we can save the world. That choice is something that comes up in a video game series by a company named Square Enix, uh, coincidentally called Life is Strange. (laughs) If you haven't heard of it, it was introduced to me. It's got a lot of emotional connectivity to it. It's essentially a choose-your-own-adventure story. So you make choices as this main character. Some of those choices have arbitrary consequences. Other ones have more serious ones. They change some of the outcomes it's a five episode series takes about maybe 10 hours to play or 50 if you're me, because I'm a slow gamer, (laughs) but the idea is kind of the same where making a choice as simple as buying a cup of coffee, as opposed to not buying a cup of coffee can lead to all these other choices. And ultimately by the end of the series, there is this one choice that needs to be made and it creates two significantly different endings. Mm. There's a lot of, kind of weird sci-fi going on in it. It's very much kind of a a coming of age story as well about these tight friendships and, you know, what choices you make, how they can make or break those friendships. It's really good. But as I was watching this episode, I was reminded of that video game. And so I think that that kind of mechanic allows me to appreciate both good Dr. Strange. I say good as in the one who, grieved appropriately and moved on with his life and quote bad Dr. Strange, because both of them I have empathy for, you know, you have the good Dr. Strange who looks at him and says, look, we cannot change the past. And he's like, yes, we can. I have the power to do it. I just need your help. There's real sincerity in there. Obviously he's become obsessive and he's really kind of built himself as like, I can't go back. So I have a little bit of empathy for him. And I felt really awful about what happened where He got what he wanted, and yet the universe itself was lost. 
And as a result, Christine was lost. So at the end of the day, or at the end of the year or century, or however long this was, (laughs) he realized that he really couldn't. He could not change that absolute point. She still died. Yeah. But not only her, the entire universe. And that was such a, just a somber exclamation point to finish off this story that I was like, oh, yeah, I need something happy in my life because that was really, really rough. I know. And not only did she and everyone else die and the whole universe is gone, but he has to essentially live with it for eternity. He's still there. <laughs> so like what? That's like the worst right? torture. Like he's, yes. he's stuck in essentially this bubble of existence without Christine and without a world around him, without inability to do anything other than think about what he's done. It's right. not what you're expecting. I think in most superhero films shows you expect, you know, in this case you would expect a good half, the good version of Dr. Strange to, to pull through and find a way <laughs> to defeat evil Dr. Strange. But in this one, Evil Doctor Strange absorbs good Doctor Strange after an epic fight, which was really, really entertaining to watch just to see these two guys. And I think anytime you see the same character battle themselves, it's fascinating, right? Because you imagine, okay, they've got sort of equal abilities, right? If you had to fight yourself at the same age as you, right? That would be an interesting battle because you're essentially, you know, your own weaknesses, you have the same strengths, same abilities. And so you you create a really exciting battle. And that's what we get here. And even with Wong, who kind of helped him by casting a protection spell on him to make him a little tougher, this good strange, a little tougher, he ultimately did not prevail. And we get probably the most depressing ending to a what if or Marvel movie ever. (laughs) But it makes sense, though, because in every other universe that we've explored in this series, we're getting essentially a chapter or the turning point where something went different from what we know. But that universe will continue, will go on. And you could have a whole series about that world, that universe, and and like Agent Carter becoming Captain Carter, you could have a whole series of animated show with that. I think we mentioned this, it's a bit of a tangent, but we mentioned in the very first episode how it would be kind of cool to see Haley Atwell play Captain Carter. And at the time, I had not seen Multiverse of Madness, but in that film, we do get a sort of cameo, but a little more than a cameo of her taking on that role. And she's not gigantic like the animated version which was i think a smart move because that would have looked weird but i thought she did a great job in it and i and i could totally watch a live action version of her as captain america or captain carter in this case because i I think she's great yeah i think you made a really great point adam that this is the first episode that we've watched where we don't have the potential for a continuation right and i think that's what makes it add to the depression because we don't have hope at the end of this. I mean, the last line that we hear from Christine is looking at strange and saying, what did you do to have that be the last words of the love of your life? And have you sit with that for eternity along with, by the way, every other death that you had to experience by going back over and over and over again. I mean, this is his prison. Yeah. He created this for himself. So being able to, end like that is really ambitious. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't think you're going to lose viewers, but I think because you have other episodes that do one thing and because your audience trusts you, you can do that with this. 
So we'll never go back to that universe. If we do, you got Strange just kind of playing cards with himself or something like that. But <laughs> yeah. Unless he figures out a way to hop universes, you know, like he does in Multiverse of Madness. But I don't think that that's likely. <laughs> right. He needs America is what he needs. Not yeah, the country, exactly. but the character. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So I guess it could, yeah, I guess it could have some tangential or maybe some sequel, but I, I don't see that happening. No, I, I think they intended this to be a story that was completely self-contained and where this particular universe does end and nothing else will ever happen. That we're witnessing the results of a worst case scenario in a universe, right? That this hasn't happened in the MCU that we love and know, but out there in the multiverse, it's happening all the time, right? Something horrible happens and that whole universe implodes whether it's because of a character or because of something else, that's possible. That with an infinite number of universes, yeah. there are going to be ones that don't thrive <laughs> and don't continue. Uh, and there are going to be ones that are incredibly happy and positive where everything works out really nicely. We haven't really seen that yet, but we're kind of seeing interesting parallel versions of universes, or I would say more on the negative side. I mean, when you, you have zombies taking over Earth, that's, that's not too positive. But, you know, there could be, maybe going forward, a, a, a what-if episode where, what if everything's amazing? <laughs> what if everything's hunky-dory? That would be yeah. a great episode title right there. I'd feel good about watching that one. There you go. <laughs> well, do you have anything else before we wrap up? No, I, I just think, uh, like you said, it's a sad ending. We're not going to see it again. But what we will see are zombies going forward. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. <laughs> In episode five. Yes, yeah. that is what we have coming up. Season one, episode five. What if zombies with a question mark and an exclamation point, which very comic book-esque. And yeah. so that's, so it would be what if zombies like that? I think yeah, that's, that's better. Yeah, that's say. a better way to say it. <laughs> <laughs> well, since you know we've already seen it, I know that it's a great conversation. We had a lot of fun with it. Um, very interesting episode. Definitely different from what we've experienced so far. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, lots of good stuff. So be sure to check that one out when it drops. And that'll do it for us on this episode of an original series. Thank you guys again for tuning in and joining our conversation. I'm Patch. He's Adam. And we are out of here. <laughs> <laughs>